me out with a little task. Uh, anytime I say a key word, they are going to ring their bell. Now, they know what the key word is, and I'm going to let you in on that in just a minute, but if you're not one of those with a bell, don't think your job is just to completely drown me out. But you also have a part. So I will say the key word, they will ring the bell, and then everyone else will say, he has arrived. All right? Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's see if we can do it. The title of the message today is The Gravity of the Nativity. Okay, now you know the key word. The key word is nativity. Ah, you're getting it. You're getting it. So there's the key word, there's the ringing of the bells, and then everyone will say, he has arrived. Now, the he has arrived part was a little weak. Let me just be fair. The bells were nice, but we need to kind of say that with a little bit of gusto and a little bit of emphasis, because the... The better you say it, the shorter the message gets. <laughs> now you're going to yell it, aren't you? You're going to yell it. So the title of the message today is The Gravity of the Nativity. <laughs> Boy, you want this short and sweet. All right. Well, we will make it that way. Luke chapter 2 is a continuation of what we've been studying in Luke 1 where we've had angelic emails or angelic messengers bringing angelic messages to a couple pretty important people. We studied two weeks ago Zechariah, and he was in the temple doing his priestly duty when he received an angelic email from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told him that even though his wife was barren, and even though they were an older couple, that they were going to have a son and that their son's name was to be John and that he was going to prepare the way of the Messiah. A little while after that, Gabriel is still on the move and he brings another angelic message to Mary. We read about that last week, that she was a virgin and the message is that she's going to have a son and that the way this is going to happen is not by the way all other people are conceived, but that she is going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceive the Son of God. Well, we don't have an identification of the angel Gabriel going to Joseph, but an angel goes to him in a dream. Most believe it's probably Gabriel as well, continuing his work of delivering these messages, delivering these angelic emails. Well, in Luke chapter 2, Angels are a part, but it's a little different. And it's not to one person like Zechariah or Mary or Joseph, but it's to a group of people, a group of shepherds who are out in a field doing what they do probably every night of their life, watching over this flock that's basically their livelihood. Now, many have commented that shepherds are not the high class of society. If anything, they're the low class, the lowest of the low. Most would say they don't smell that great, that they don't keep themselves well clean, that maybe their clothing and the 
smell of the animals, probably not that different. That they're nomads or kind of isolated unto themselves. But they're in a region, the Bible says, just shortly outside of Bethlehem. Now, I've been honored to actually be in Bethlehem a couple different times in my life. And while the city is a little city, even today it's not that big. Nothing compared to the size of Jerusalem, the capital. But it's this little city, but the scripture tells us that they're not even able to find room in the city. But that Mary and Joseph find a stable where baby Jesus is going to be born. And shepherds in a field, in a region close by, receive this angelic email. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let me read that verse again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You know, baby announcements come in all different forms these days. Um, Particularly for first-time parents, first-time grandparents, there is a big announcement. Uh, The baby isn't bigger than a bean in a little pod. But there's that ultrasound photo or that, that picture, that that way to unveil it to all the relatives. And and sometimes it's with the big brother or maybe it's sometimes with the uh, little family. I I saw one uh, over the Halloween season. It was of a couple and they were actually having twins and they had each a pumpkin. And they said, these pumpkins mean babies are on the way or something like that. Cute little, little picture. Well, then there's another announcement that comes about midway into the pregnancy. It's the gender reveal. And we're getting really elaborate with these. Uh, Maybe a little too elaborate. People are baking cakes that you can't see what color the cake is. The icing is covering it. And then in a special moment with a video or Facebook Live or FaceTiming with folks and family, they slice open the cake to see pink or blue, and everybody knows what the baby's gender is going to be. 
But there's another announcement that's probably even bigger than the birth announcement or the gender announcement. It's the arrival announcement. How many of us look forward to seeing those photos, maybe sent to us, maybe emailed to us, texted to us, posted on social media, where that little one is in that little white blanket that they give them in the hospital with the pink and blue stripe and the little sock cap that you have to tape on their head with surgical tape because they've arrived. It's the most important of all announcements. They're here. Do you know that the word nativity means arrival? Well played. Y'all are doing good. I want to try to catch you off guard here a little bit. Nativity means arrival. We will look at all of those little scenes that we put in our houses or maybe out in our front yard. I know you had a little scene downstairs on our Christmas meal. A scene of Mary and Joseph and a baby and shepherds and wise men and a few animals and angels is a scene that we come to know as the Christmas scene or the, oh, you're even getting ahead, the nativity scene. Yes. Okay, this experiment may need to be put away for another year or two. I don't know. It's getting out of hand. But we have those scenes to remind us of what's going on. Nativity simply means arrival. Now this arrival, the shepherds are told, means something really important. Look back in verse 10. Initially, they're terrified. Well, why do we know that? Because every time angels appear, people are terrified. The glory of the Lord is shining around this angel And we know from the Old Testament that when the glory of the Lord shines, people do one thing. They cower in fear. That when God's glory is on display, human sinfulness wants to turn and run. And these shepherds see the glory. They see this angel of the Lord and they're afraid. So was Mary. So was Zachariah. So was Joseph. And so was Moses. And so has anyone who has ever stood in the glory of the Lord. You don't stand in the glory of the Lord proud of your accomplishments. You stand in the glory of the Lord aware of your failures. And they're afraid. But the angel says, fear not. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The angel says, I'm bringing you good news. And what is that good news? Well, that good news is Jesus has arrived. He's arrived. And it should produce great joy. Great joy for all people. Aren't you thankful, brothers and sisters, that Jesus brings joy to all people? He brings joy to all people. You say, well, I know Jesus and I'm not always joyful. Well, it's not the kind of thing that means happiness or giddiness or you're always feeling positive. Joy at its core means that you have hope in Christ, that you have hope in God. That at the end of the day, no matter what this earth swings your way, there's a confidence to know God has your back. 
that He is for you, not against you. That He is with you. That He is around you and in you and defending you. There's a million things that you don't experience on this earth because your protector has kept them from coming. You see, it brings joy. It brings joy in the moment and it brings joy at a deeper level that all of us, when we really think about it, can lean on. I don't know, but... When I watch the news or see the newspaper or read the headlines, there's so few places in the world where you can find true joy. This week, a man takes a semi-truck and drives through a village in a little shopping district in Germany where people are buying Christmas gifts. And you wonder, where is the joy? A terror threat in Australia is disrupted people had planned to do harm. There's still a catastrophe in Syria. There's still potential now of nuclear problems in the Middle East with these UN decisions. Friends, it's not a happy world, is it? And it's even beyond just the global situations. Some of you, this holiday, this holiday is the first one without someone dear. It's the first holiday when place setting is not going to have someone there. Some dear friends of ours are in the Louisville Children's Hospital. Their baby came four months early. And he's just hanging on by a thread. It's a tough holiday for them. Now they're thankful for the life that God has given them, but they're just resting to know that there is a deeper joy than anything this earth could ever offer. It's good news. It's great joy that in Christ we can have the fullness of joy even when the world is absolutely in shambles. You say, well, how do you find that? You find that by trusting in the good news. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ has come. And because of his life and his death and his resurrection, those of us who place our faith and hope and life and trust in him will not be put to shame. We will not be put aside, but God will gather us as his children and save us by the son's blood and put his spirit in us to dwell forever. And we will see him face to face one day in the glories of heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. He has arrived. He is bringing good news that produces great joy for all people who trust him. This is the gravity of the nativity. He has arrived. Well, the shepherds hear more. They hear in verse 11 that a Savior has come. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me just say a word or two about this sentence, this message. It says to them that there is a baby born. There is a day now set aside. There is now a place and a city. That city is Bethlehem. That lineage of King David. That city that God had always said there would be a Savior 
to come through. And the word Savior there is critical. It's not just a passing word. Sometimes we will say Jesus is my Savior. But friends, do you really know what Savior means? It means I have been rescued. I've never been a firefighter or a police officer or an EMS. I've never... Uh, been a first responder in the military or in law enforcement. But I've had to rely on some of those men and women at certain times in my life. Whether I had to call 911 or I was involved in an accident or something was taking place in front of us just a few years ago. My wife and sons were in a pretty rough car accident. The car ran out in front of them and collided and First responders immediately came and had to help with getting the boys out of the van and Jennifer out of the front seat and making sure they were okay and helping the other fella that ran in front of them. I'm so thankful for those first responders. Amen? They put their life on the line to help others. But in, in the same vein and in the same kind of idea, The word Savior really pictures a first responder. It's the helpless person who can't save themselves, who can't get themselves out of harm way, who finds themselves in a very difficult spot, and they need a rescuer. They need someone to come and to secure them and to save them. The word Savior to you and me shouldn't just be a name we, we think of Jesus. It is his, his description, but it's also what He has done. He has saved us. He has rescued us. It's, it's not just the little kitty in the tree. It's not just someone broken down on the side of the road. You and I were destined for hell except for the fact that Jesus saved us. We were... We were in a harm's way. We were in a path of destruction. But a first responder, who the Bible calls the firstborn of all creation, has saved us. He's a Savior who is Christ, the Bible says. Christ. This is not just another throwaway Bible word. It's the the Messiah that had been promised from the Old Testament. Messiah and Christ are the exact same word. One in Hebrew, one in Greek. And they mean the same thing. The anointed one, the deliverer, the one who God had promised. You see, not only were we in trouble, but God had a plan to save us. A promised plan that He was going to unfold. And the Scripture here, the shepherds here, the angels say, a Savior, a Rescuer, who is the Messiah, who is the Christ, who is the promised anointed one, who is the Lord. He's going to come in the form of a baby. But friends, don't ever think God the Son started in Bethlehem. God the Son, Christ our Lord, created all things that you know and all things you will ever see. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John's gospel tells us very clearly that in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And He formed all things. 
He is the sustainer. The book of Colossians chapter 1 says that he is the author and sustainer of life. Friends, don't make just Jesus a little baby in a little manger in a little scene on your mantle. Recognize that he is the Savior, the Christ, and he is Lord. This is the gravity of the nativity. Let me give you one more thought. Verse 13 and 14, the picture opens wider. The one angel becomes a multitude of angels. And the message that they have heard is then now a message they will hear sung. You can imagine something you hear as a Message then being added to by maybe millions. We don't know what the word heavenly host means mathematically, numerically. It could be five, it could be 500, it could be 5,000, it could be 5 million. It's a military term. It simply means a legion or a regiment or a brigade or a battalion, but it's not just one, it's a company, it's, it's a gathering. The angels in this scripture have come from heaven because the scripture tells us at the end of this song, they're going to go back to heaven. And in that display on that night sky, they start singing. And, and I wonder, I've always wondered, what language are they singing in? Are they singing in the language that the shepherds would understand? That would either be Greek or Aramaic. Are they singing in the voice of heaven? I don't know what language heaven sings in. Are they singing in a way that they're singing in such a glorious tone that the shepherds just understand? Or is there something about the way they're singing and the way God's glory is showing that they can just understand that it's praise, glory to God in the highest? We sing a song about this every Christmas. It's called Angels We Have Heard on High. And we take that phrase, glory to God in the highest, or glory to God in the highest of heavens, to be Gloria in excelsis Deo. You know the song? The lyric goes something like this. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Even that lyric, you you understand the angels are singing, but they may be singing so loud that it's just echoing, echoing in that region, echoing in that plain, echoing in that valley, so that every shepherd and every sheep And every person possibly nearby could hear this volume of this crowd. The second verse goes, Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? Maybe the shepherds have heard it in their own ears and now they are going to start humming it and singing it and repeating it. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. Friends, we can always have a song to sing. Amen?
I have a feeling that we've sung a lot of Christmas songs. I know we've played Christmas music in our house since about Thanksgiving. But a song we can sing that will be like a song of heaven is glory to God in the highest. You can sing a heaven song. They close with this little, little clip. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Some of you who carry the King James Version, you know it this way. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This idea of peace between man and peace between God is the good news that brings great joy to all people. You might not understand this, and you may not even believe it or recognize it, but all of us at one time were enemies of God. Because of our sin, and because of our hearts, and because of our disobedience, because of our desires to do what we want to do, and make ourselves the ruler of our lives, put ourselves on the throne to make ourselves kings and queens, the Bible says that makes us enemies of God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes it this way in James 4.4. 4. He writes, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. None of us want to be an enemy of God, but because of our own actions, that has happened. The Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, called himself an opponent of God, opposition of God, he writes it this way in Romans 5, 9, and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, how much more now are we reconciled? Shall we be saved by his life? It says that we have to be reconciled. We have to be made right. There's no peace without Jesus. The gravity of the nativity there you go, is that God made a way for us to be at peace. Now, it's hard for us, and I recognize the depth of this idea. It's hard on Christmas morning to say to God, I've been your enemy. You're here on Christmas morning. You're here worshiping Jesus the Lord. All of you have been saved by his blood. I would almost recommend a unanimous uh, application there. But we all know and we all should recognize there has been a time in our life when that wasn't the case. And if we really stood before God at that day and in that moment, we would have to say honestly, we have not been your friend. We have been an enemy. But through Jesus, the one who has arrived, we can now have peace with God. We can be made right before God. And that's the gravity of the nativity.
Kiddos are coming back. I guess that means this sermon's done. Well, I'm glad they're back. I'm glad they're here. The, there's an old poem that was written by a man by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, some of you may have studied him in history or maybe even studied him in English class. He was an American poet that wrote around the time of the Civil War. Now, his life wasn't that great. Actually, most of his poetry only became known after his death. Uh, he suffered several things in his life that were very tragic. Uh, one such event happened to his wife. Uh, he and his wife had been married 18 years and had experienced six children. But in a house fire, actually, she was cooking and her dress caught on fire. And he literally threw her on the ground and grabbed blankets to try to put her out and himself was also severely burned. But he became a widower after 18 years, leaving him to raise six, uh, six children alone. A few years after his wife's passing, the Civil War broke out, and his oldest son decided that he would enlist in the Union Army. Even though he did not have his father's approval, he decided to join the Union cause. This is what he wrote his dad. He says, I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my first duty to do what I can for my country, and I would be willing to lay down my life for it if that would be of any good. His son Charles left in the middle of the night and was made a lieutenant. And that November, just about six months after being enlisted, he was severely wounded in a battle in Massachusetts. That was in November. His wife had passed two years before. And on Christmas Day, 1863, this poet, who is now a widower, father of six, whose now oldest son has been severely wounded in war, he wrote a poem called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I'd like to read just a few of the lines. And it's kind of a sad poem. Um, a poem written on Christmas morning. The lyric goes this way. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Listen to the last verse. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth 
he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Who is the peace that he is talking about? It's Jesus, the one who has arrived. It's the one who the shepherds heard the message from the angels. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That is the gravity of the nativity. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. I think about Jesus' words in John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus explaining to Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God, I pray that maybe today there would be one who needs to be saved by Jesus, who recognizes that they are an enemy because they have gone their own way. They have done their own thing. They have made themselves the ruler and king of their own lives. They have bowed to no one, surrendered to no one. They've never come into a recognition that they need to be saved. But maybe today, God, you've spoken to their heart that they're in harm's way. They're in danger. They're not in the place they ought to be. And that they need a rescue, a Savior. They need to lean on the Christ, the Lord, the one who has arrived, not to condemn, but to save. God, I want us to all feel that weight today. That this is good news of great joy for all people who believe. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship and I help, help us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're just going to sing one verse. And if you need to come and pray or need someone to pray with you, I would be honored to receive you here at the front. Let's sing this verse as we close.